God bless you. Everybody see my coat? I have one. I like the way my tie goes with my shirt. I will leave the shirt on. I won't go that far. I know some of you don't believe you can be anointed without a tie on. I've often wondered how much Jesus paid for the ones he wore. If I walked up here in sandals today, you probably would walk out of the building. Of course, he healed thousands wearing sandals, so must not be a problem, right? I'd like to say something to you. I hope you'll receive it. If you're counting on being out of here at 2 o'clock today, it's not going to happen. Unless you've made up your mind that it doesn't matter what God's got for you. You're going to keep your schedule. Brother Morgan, Brother Chatwell, Brother myself and Brother Morgan have been doing these day sessions for how many years now? About 12 years. I sat there last night and I leaned over to both of them and said, I feel like the cream between the cookies. Because I'm always in the middle. Whether I'm seated or speaking. Praise God. Um, one of the most forgotten skills in the apostolic church today is the ability to wait on God. The ability to let God dictate the schedule. That's one reason God has blessed this meeting over the years so much. is because we have been willing to not have a schedule. We have order. We have structure. Order and structure are of God. But schedule is God's business. Hallelujah. Amen. And having worked with these brethren like this over the years, I have discovered one thing. Not one time, not in one meeting, has it ever not been the case that if you sat down afterward and listened to the six, me- six lessons or messages from the two-day sessions, would you ever dream that we didn't get together and plan it? In fact... I leaned over to Brother, uh, I think it was Brother Godwin yesterday afternoon. I said, if if I'd known known he was going to cover all that stuff, I wouldn't have said it. In case you didn't hear it, he repeated some of the stuff I said verbatim. Is that because we got our signals crossed and didn't get everything straight? Or is it because... God so desperately wanted you to hear it. He had it said another way, but the same thing. Praise God. Now, 
I got my three pages of notes. They're just lists of scriptures, really all they are. But, Brother Dylan, I will not be teaching today. I will be ministering peace in this house. If you're not aware that you can minister peace to people, then you haven't studied the New Testament very closely. In fact, the gospel we preach is supposed to be the gospel of peace. So if you're truly preaching the gospel, you should be ministering peace just by preaching the gospel to people. Hallelujah. I don't know how long I will go with the scriptural stuff, with the teaching part, but I know in my spirit at some point in this session, the Holy Ghost is going to shift it. And we're going to go from talking about peace to imparting peace to those who will receive it. There's very few things that have to do with God that the, the adversary is more afraid of God's people having than peace. I'll give you a starting point if you'll put the verse on the screen for me. And you'll see why. Uh, no, 165, sister, I'm sorry. 119, 165. If you, if you will see this verse, this will tell you why the adversary is fearful. 119, 165. Great peace. Have they that love thy law and and what? If you get this, you won't ever have to deal with what you just dealt with. The very reason you can even get a wounded spirit is because you don't have peace. The only way you can be offended is that you don't have peace. Because if you have peace, though either the Word of God is a lie, or if you have peace, nothing can offend you. There's not anything anybody can say or do to you that will offend you. If you have peace. Praise God. Like I said yesterday, there are verses in the Bible we do not believe. Because we have no reality of them in, their, in our lives. And I will say to you that I lived approximately 57 years. without a consistent, lasting, effective peace in my life. Praise God. I want to talk to you about a little bit today. You may be seated. Let me, as while the 
hurry quickly while the Lord is letting me cover the scriptural side of it before the other kicks in. Let me give you just a few scriptures that's very, very, very important. If you will read in Luke chapter 1, you will find that uh, Zacharias is prophesying concerning his son who is to, to be born, John, and that what his purpose will be in preparing the way of the one who's to come. And while he's prophesying about his son, he's actually prophesying about the one that's to come and his mission. And just for time's sake, I will read to you the last thing that Zacharias said about the one that his son was coming to prepare the way for. Luke one seventy nine to give light to that to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, this is prophecy. This is prophecy. Zacharias is prophesying about his son John, who is coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he tells us in several of these verses here, which I don't have the time to read, of the things that, that, the, that the, the, the Messiah is going to do. And the last one of those things in the list is to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now the word way in the Greek literally means road or pathway. Figuratively, it means lifestyle. Your lifestyle. So Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was coming to guide our feet into the lifestyle of peace. We do not have a lifestyle of holiness. Because if you have a lifestyle of separation without first having peace, you do not have holiness. You have contention. You have pharisaical judgmentalism. Because you cannot divide the verse up and take the last half in Hebrews 14, 12 that says, or 12, 14, excuse me, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Show me someone that makes has a contentious attitude over standards, and I'll show you somebody that doesn't have a clue what holiness is. Because the foundation of true holiness is following peace with all men. And without peace, all of your standards of separation are worthless Rags of self-righteousness. Do I believe in separation? As much as anybody in this room. Biblical separation is in the book. And anybody that says it's not there is a lunatic. Spiritually. Because they're committing suicide and you have to be crazy to commit suicide. It is a very, very simple shallow search of the original languages to be totally convinced that there is 
a standard of separation that God has and that He divides us. He started the division process at creation when He divided light and darkness and He's been dividing ever since. And there's a dividing line. There is no gray area in God because the definition of darkness is the absence of light. The definition of light is the absence of darkness. In God there is no gray area. He separates. When he said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be to you a God, and you shall be to me a people. The word separate there means in the Greek to set apart by boundaries. When God said, told, tell Moses, told Moses, tell the people, don't touch the mountain. You tell me where a mountain stops and where it starts. Who determined the boundary? Not God. Moses is the one that had to communicate where the boundary was, where the mountain stopped. This is the place you can go to and no farther because you cross this line, you're now touching the mountain, you're going to die. It's book. Now, there's some of the stuff we preach we don't have book for. It's tradition. But the book is the book. The stuff on hair and apparel and, and, and covering your face with stuff that's false. I can prove that stuff in the book all day long. Now, some of y'all, you're violating my convictions. I see a bunch of you with necklaces on. How many of you protested to this church that you wouldn't wear that thing around your neck? Oh, you mean you understand there are some things that have a function? There's some of you sitting here who would never put on a wedding band, but you've got a necklace on today. I'm just testing your piece to see if I can offend you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, I got a phone. And uh, on that phone the other day, I watched Tiger Woods play the last round of the PGA Championship. So send me to hell. I don't have it. That's not a TV. I got it right here. It's a phone. So I haven't violated your teaching, have I? It's a phone. Yeah, we got a problem with that, don't we? Oh, I remind you, I'm a district superintendent. They used to call me a rebel. Now they call me brother district superintendent. I believe in separation. I believe it's in the book. And, and, and the new wave, which is really not a new wave, it's always been a wave because when I was a kid, I went to some churches that didn't teach everything then. As we moved around the country. I mean, this is not new that people have questioned standards. I'm 63 years old. I remember as a kid, them not teaching all of this. But they say today, the outside doesn't matter. You know, just a very simple 
simple study of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. When it says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. The word conformed in the Greek does not talk about the inside at all. It's talking about not having an exterior that is inconsistent with what you say is inside. So the guys that say all of this stuff is just tradition, just Pentecostal made up or UPC made up stuff, that's because they're not looking for the answers. They've already made up their mind on the answers. I tell you what, Brother D.O. Welch was, uh, my mother was attending there when I was born. I think I got that debating spirit by birth. He was a debater. I tell you what, the Lord's already shown me the day's coming when I'm going to have a chance to debate some of those little buddies publicly and let them put their mouth where it is because they don't have answers, they just have opinions. Now, I didn't intend to say to all that, and I've taken up some of my time here. There is a lifestyle of peace. If you don't have peace, you don't have holiness. And you go, you go to the definition of people that are sinners in Romans chapter 3. And let me tell you what you're going to find. The last list, other than, you know, that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none good, no, not one. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. Their feet are swift to shed innocent blood, etc., etc., all the way down the list. The last thing they use to define a sinner is this. The way of peace they have not known. You know what? I've preached to a lot of people around this world that must be sinners then. Because they don't know the way of peace. They don't have a lifestyle of peace. And oh, let me tell you something. Peace is absolutely the most wonderful thing in this whole wide world. It's better than goosebumps. It's better than jumping and shouting. It's better than talking in tongues. Of course, you can't really separate those two. But peace is absolutely wonderful. Peace is wonderful. Peace is absolutely the most wonderful thing I've ever experienced in God. It's a wonderful thing. But you know something? In order to get peace, I had to lose a building in a snowstorm. There's some guys in this meeting who were a tremendous help to me while I worked through the emotional emotions of the loss. Because that building wasn't just a building. I could take you to this spot, and this is the place that God said to me this. And, and over here, this is the place that I was praying for so-and-so when God healed him. And this is where that somebody was delivered. And this is the prayer room where the angels walked. And where, 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 where a man from England came over and got the Holy Ghost, and he's now an apostle of God to Asia. I could take you to those places. I could show you where my sons were dedicated, where my, my grandbabies were dedicated. I helped build that building. I designed the building. We built that building ourselves. It was the first building we ever really had. Twelve years we were in that town. Never had a building of our own. Not really a building. We built that building. And on my birthday, February 18th, 
2003, I get a phone call from a man that's here. I'm still trying to forgive. Because he, <laughs> he's a funny guy, see? See, he calls me about 8 o'clock on my birthday. Tells me, Brother Wright, you better get up to the, build, up to, up to the property. The building's collapsed. I said, Sean, I, I'm not up for these kind of stories because there was three feet of snow in the yard. It was the snow of the century. He said, no, I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. And I go up there, and the entire sanctuary is on the ground. It's like a terrible nightmare you keep waiting to wake up from, but you don't. The first month or so, it wasn't time to grieve. There was so many things to do, so just stuff to do, stuff to stay busy with. There wasn't time to grieve. I thought I was doing fine. But then, after about three months, all of a sudden... I was shut down. I had, I had no feeling. I had nothing. I didn't, I didn't have any motivation. I didn't have any, I didn't have any desire. I, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to get out of bed and I didn't want to go to bed. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to eat and I couldn't stop from eating. I couldn't do anything. I was totally incapacitated. And just out of the clear blue, people call and say, I don't know what's going on, but I'm praying for you. Thank God, because I wasn't. I wasn't. I was just trying to survive. I was just trying to keep breathing. That's all. And then the Lord began to talk to me. If you could put up for me on the screen, Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 6. Uh, actually, verse 5, and I'm going to read fast. Okay, the Lord began to show me this, okay? Uh, go back up to four, I'm sorry. Praise God. This saved my life right here. I'm about to tell you something to save my soul. First, uh, four, four, please. There we go. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man think that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, the touching law of Pharisee. Next verse. Concerning zeal, sorry. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law of blameless. Next verse. But what things were, what tense is that? That's past tense. What things were gained to me? Those I counted, what tense is that? Past. Those I counted lost for life, for Christ. Those things that were gained to me, just keep that, that, keep that up there if you would. No, no, go to the next verse. But keep, just keep it there. The, what things were gained to me? Those I counted lost for Christ. The word count is not an emotional thing. It's a mental and spiritual thing. I considered it all. I added it all up and I came to the conclusion that these things that were gained to me that I've lost are not more worth more to me than the knowledge of God they have opened the door for me to have. Because loss opens doors that gain never will. Hang on there. 
I'll read my own verse here in another place. Just stay right there. I read this this morning. This morning. Okay? Listen to this. Loss, loss produces stuff that nothing else can. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sins, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. I read about 30 different translations on that verse this morning, those two verses this morning. And you know what they say? That when you go through very difficult times in your flesh, it takes away the desire to sin. It takes away lust. I didn't write it. Don't look at me like that. That's what it says. Go look it up for yourself. I don't like it either. But the Lord began to deal with me. He said, those things that were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Those things that were gained to me, I counted lost for Christ. I had to make a decision about the things I've lost. I had to make a decision about the things I lost. I could, I could either grieve over them and continue to grieve over them and never get over the grief of them and never go forward from there. Or I could give them to Christ, let them go and be free and have a future. Hear me. Sister, let's skip down from 1 Corinthians. I want to come back to 1 Corinthians or Philippians uh, uh, 3 and 8. But let's go down. Let's, let me read a little bit and I'll come back to that. Yet doubtless, doubtless, doubtless I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things but to count them but dung, that I may win Christ. 9. And be found in him not having my own righteousness which of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Notice, you have to get resurrected before you can suffer with Christ. It's not you suffer then get resurrected. You get resurrected to be able to be empowered to suffer with him. That's how you know him. Being made conformable to his death. Next verse. If by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Next verse. Not as though it were already attained, either are already perfect, but I, I follow after the, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Next verse. But brethren, I do count myself to have represented, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. As long as you're grieving over your losses, you can't forget the past. While you can't forget your past, you're not going to have a future. And you're not even living in the present. You're only existing in the present. And when you're in that condition, you do not have peace. I don't care how much you shout, pray, fast, talk in tongues. You do not have peace. You don't have peace. And when you don't have peace, then you're sensitive to every offense. You're sensitive to every offense. Even things that you should that, that nobody even meant offensively. They had no intention of hurting you or harming you with that. Mourning always has to do with our past. Joy and hope always has to do with our present and future. You don't have joy and hope while you're grieving over your past. And you can't get of the grief over the past, get rid of the grief of the past, till you count it all as lost for Christ. 
He wasn't going to miraculously wave his hand and put that building back up. It's six years later, we still don't have a building. You know, let me tell you something. It's easy. I, I've sat with you frequently, still do. And it's easy to listen to somebody preach and say, wow, that's awesome. I, I wish I could do that. The price tag on the messages isn't the price of a book. It's not the cost isn't what we, we paid to get it out of this out of a book. Brother Shatwell's house burned in December of 03. The Lord showed him a house to build back. He got halfway through that and the Lord shut that down. And now almost six years this December, they still don't have a house. They're still camped out in a small place. And yet he's here preaching this stuff. And they're going home to essentially a, 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 an apartment. A, 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 an efficiency apartment. It's got a bedroom and another open big room. And they have to pull a curtain across the part of that living room for their son to sleep in. And it's been like that six years. Because God shut it down. And we've been six years without a building. And this man sitting here that's all concerned about home missionaries is under the greatest financial pressure he's ever been under his entire life. And Brother Morgan, this is the first time he's preached since heart attack. This is, we're not here to entertain you. This is our passion. We believe in this. We believe this stuff. I said we believe this stuff. Here's the problem. Until you first deal with your losses, the things you've already lost, you'll never be able to deal with the things you could lose. And until you've learned to deal with the things you can lose, you'll never have peace. Philippians 4, 3.8 again, please. Listen to this. We saw in verse 7 that the tenses of the verb was past tense. Those things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. But listen, there's another loss he's got here. Yea, doubtless, and I count. What tense is that? Present. All things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He had lost everything. But he, but he concluded it lost. So it couldn't be used against him by the adversary. Because whatever you're hanging on to. Whatever you're holding on to. Trying to make God work out your way according to your plan is an open door for this adversary to put fear in there and steal your peace. And so you know how you deal with that? Paul got it. Paul got it. He wanted to have joy and he wanted to have hope of the future. So after he'd experienced what happened with everything he did lose, he'd counted all that stuff he did lose as lost for Christ, for the knowledge of Christ, for an intimacy with Christ. 
Then he goes, wow. If everything I have lost, given that away for Christ, has done this. What would happen if I gave everything I could lose in advance? And then whatever he allows me to have, and however long he lets me keep it, it's all gravy because I've already lost it. And the devil can't threaten me with it. He can't take what I've already given up. He can't threaten me with what I've already given up. He can't threaten me with that. He can't take what I don't have. Peace. But to do that, you've got to trust the Father. My father loves me. He wants absolutely the best for me. And his definition of best and my definition of best are not the same thing. No, 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 no. No, they're not. Because best for me may be a valley. Not a mountaintop. Best for me may be pain. Best for me may be problems and pressure. I had an old prophet of God tell me as a young pastor. There will never be a day that your life will be free of pain, problem, or pressure. Because God's never going to let you forget you need Him. It's you, it's Him and not you. He's never going to make your life perfectly perfect. You can't pray and fast enough for God to take all your pain, all your problems, and all your pressure away. It's not going to happen. And if you're going to have a problem with the Father over that, then you're going to find out ultimately the offenses you've carried are not about uh, towards so-and-so, and and they're not even towards yourself. They're toward Him. Because as Brother Shatwell said, if you have real faith in God, you know He could have prevented every bit of it. Now, when I was a young preacher, young pastor, and people would come ask me about bad stuff that happened, I'd make excuses for God. Now, you know God doesn't do bad stuff. And you, and you know that, that you know, that the, the, the devil's done this. And it's, it, the, the Lord's sorry for it. He's, he feels bad for you. But it's not, it's not really God's fault. Well, you know what I was really saying? I was really saying that I have to fear the adversary. Because God's not big enough to control him. And so, therefore... I better be on the lookout all the time because I never know when I'm going to get blindsided by this all-powerful adversary. Now, is that the kind of God you want to believe in? It's not the kind of God I want to believe in. Oh, and by the way, it's not the God that's in the Bible. You've heard this before. But whose idea was it for Job to lend lose seven sons and three daughters in one day. God's. My eldest was preaching. He's the senior pastor. He was preaching a couple of, a couple of about a, two months ago now. And he was preaching about Job. And I'd never seen it before. He said, he was preaching about Job. And, and Job says, uh, you, you know, shall we receive, King James says, shall we receive good at the hands of God? Shall we not receive evil? 
That had never clicked with me. He, but he read it out of a couple of different translations while he was preaching. And it, one translation says this. Shall we receive good at the hands of the Lord? Shall we not receive trouble? If we thank God for the positive, are then we then going to curse Him for the negative? Same source. You say, God wouldn't do stuff like that. That's because you and I live in a temporal dimension. And we don't have any faith in the outside the temporal dimension. So we define everything about our walk with God in the temporal dimension. That's why there's guys on TV saying if you'll send them $1,000 seed money, they'll put it down on your insurance policy with God that, that's your insurance policy against trouble. That's what they call blessing. What, what, what idiot in the world wouldn't want to give a thousand dollars if that's an idiot that'll pay up your premiums to, to, to bring you all kind of good stuff and no bad stuff? They can't preach this stuff stay on TV. Nobody gives money for this. Send me a thousand dollars and I'll guarantee you trouble's coming. Problem is, that's truth. It's guaranteed by Jesus. The last words of Jesus in destruction, in instructions to the disciples before he went to the garden to pray was this. John 16, 33. These words have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Greek word thalipsis, which means trouble, pressure. But be of good cheer. You shall have trouble. But I want to see if you've got any peace. Because in your trouble, you can be of good cheer. Because you know I'm in charge. And that I'm in control. And whatever's happening, I knew about it before it got there. I've already put a limitation on how long it's going to be there. And it can't do one bit more to you than what I've already determined is going to be done. So it's okay. It's okay. You say, but life's hard. Isn't that awesome that this is temporary? You know why it's hard? So you won't tear down your tent and build a house. Because we're just pilgrims and strangers passing through. We're not retiring here. We got a better retirement plan than this. He doesn't intend you to build a house. He intends you to keep traveling in the tent. Which proves that you know this isn't your home. He's never going to let it get comfortable enough to be your home. No promise of it. In fact, promise of the contrary. You know why he said in me, you, these things have I spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Because the trouble's coming whether you choose it or not. But you're only going to have peace if you choose to have it. don't have peace it's nobody's fault but yours because you've got to make the choice you've got to choose it's your choice your choice he will not violate your will you've got to choose you've got to choose so 
about August of 03, whew, it started getting better. I'm thinking, wait a minute here. If you don't want us to have that building, so be it. In the first year and a half after losing the building, we grew by 200 a Sunday. You see, that's our problem. We don't find out how religious we are until we have to figure out how God wants to do stuff in a non-traditional way. You know what I love about home missions? We used 22 different buildings in the first 12 years in town. That's not an exaggeration. I can take you to locations right now. Some of them we were using at the same time. Some of them we'd have one service in one, one part of the week and we'd have another service in another part of the week. It was one period of time. We had this little building that was nothing but an auditorium. For Sunday school, we'd, we'd park the buses surrounding the building, run heaters, cords out to the heaters. That was our Sunday school classes. The kids never even got in the building. We'd bring them to the building in our buses, shift them around to the ages, run the extension cords out there, had Sunday school, shift them back to the buses going to their neighborhood and took them home. Why? Because... We weren't going to let tradition keep us from having a revival. Right. I love that. Every time, every time we'd lose a building, every time there was a problem with the building, it took me a little while to learn this. I, I'd, I'd be so distraught over, oh God, why are you taking this building? Finally he said, because I got something better. You know what was so awesome about that? Because we didn't own that building. When we filled it up, there was no grief. There was no, there was no loss. We don't need this anymore. This is just a temporary facility. But when you're married to a piece of property, or you're married to a facility, then your vision and faith is limited by that. I don't want anything limited in my vision or my faith. So the Lord took it. Well, man, peace, peace, my Lord. The Lord promised this. He would comfort all who mourn. If you're still grieving over your losses, you haven't received the promise of God yet. And there's some losses that are real painful. A spouse, a child, a parent. Those are very painful. But if you're still living at the graveyard, you don't have peace and you're not going to have peace. Right. It doesn't mean you don't love that person, don't respect that person. I stand by my dad's bedside, April the 4th, 2006. And we were, we were singing and, and God was moving and it was all grace. But I, I kept getting choked up. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I, 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 could, I couldn't hardly say anything. And all of a sudden, this voice said to me, Absent from the body is present with the Lord. That word from God turned my spigot off. I have not wept for my dad to this day. In fact, I've had some people say, Now you know you need to grieve over your dad. How long do you have to grieve? God stopped my grieving at that moment. He said, You're just feeling sorry for yourself. 
because I'm about to move him out of his old broken down house. I'm fixing to give him a brand new house. He's not going anywhere but with me. So what's the problem? Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Whoa. Is that too straight or what? I, some of you are sure that's too straight. Well, guess what? We're rocking along. And, and our school building stayed. And we built a, built a little auditorium in seat 500 there. We couldn't use it on Sunday mornings. And we couldn't use it on Sunday nights. We used it. Only one of our 20 congregations could use it on Sunday morning. The mother, Technically, the mother congregation is what we used to call it. Uh, they would use it on Sunday morning. And then on Monday nights... Wait, we have Monday night church because one night I've never, ever had church and never will have church is Wednesday night because that's when traditional people have church. So we've had church every other night of the week, but we have never in 39 years had church on Wednesday night. I refuse. It's just a hang-up I've got. Now, I've never been to a movie theater, but I'd personally rather go to a movie theater on third Wednesday night than church. That's just my own hang-up, I understand. Because that's, that's how I feel about tradition. Praise God. Amen. If you have Wednesday night church, God bless you. I'm not. I, this is just me. This is weird me talking, okay? So, on Monday night we had church. When we'd have to have children's church on Monday night just to be able to squeeze everybody in there. And so, we, things, doors started closing. Doors started closing. We'd been using the high school auditorium and, and, and stuff. It, it started closing and we didn't have any place to go. So, the last part of March, you know, we, we applied for a building permit 10 years ago. And we're, they just let us know that they're ready for us to pick it up. <laughs> 10 years, Okay. So needless to say, that didn't breed a whole lot of confidence I had in any permit process. So I prayed about it and felt like the Lord said, go ahead. So we were just tearing out some interior walls. That's all. We weren't even changing the capacity. Capacity was there. We just moved the walls around to configure it differently. We were 10 days from being done. 10 days. Every morning I'm getting up and giving it to God. Okay, Lord, I give you this contract. This construction, I give you all this problem. I give you the fact that we're doing this without a permit. I give it to you, give it to you, give it to you, give it to you. give. And I'm sure that's working because it's been working. Because that's how you have peace. You just keep giving that stuff. You don't care. You don't worry about it, right? I'm giving I'm sure that's going to work. We were 10 days from being done. The county showed up and shut us down. Shut us down. I've already been through this one time. I should have already known how to do this. I didn't. It shut me down. I mean, shut me down. I, I, I spent my entire ministry trying to learn how to hear and repeat. That's ministry to me. It's hear and repeat, hear and repeat, hear and repeat, hear and repeat. Hear. Just being sensitive to the Holy Ghost, hear and repeat. And that's... that's that's my entire life. That's, I've spent my entire walk with God trying to learn how to be sensitive to the voice of God and minister just by hearing the repeat, hearing the repeat, hearing the repeat. Not worried about hermeneutics or homiletics. I'm just interested in letting Jesus say what he wants to say, how he wants to say it, when he wants to say it. Okay. So, it's, I shut down. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the bishop. 
I'm not the senior pastor, so I'm used to going to church. And I can sit there and I, I not participate and, and I pick up on this and pick up on that and see that and this there. And, and then I'm, I'm just kind of waiting for the pastor he, that he does this and he does that. And check, 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 check. Doing really good, really good. But it, I got so shut down, I walk into church service. I didn't feel anything. I could see God moving. I could see God doing stuff. I knew that the, the ministry involved was flowing with God, but I couldn't feel anything. Well, the same night that the pastor was preaching about Job, shall we receive good at the hands of the Lord, shall we not receive trouble? He went from that to Lazarus. And the Lord spoke to me for the first time since that building collapsed. Is that, I've, I've spent some time in caves. I'm an extreme introvert. I love being alone. I really honestly love being alone. I love my family, but I, I love being alone. My office is in the attic with no windows of my home because there's no room in the church building. The only window in my office Office is my computer screen. That's all I need. And I know, I know, I've seen some of you shake your head, you can't do that. That's because we're all made differently. Some of you, you go nuts alone. Well, I'm more at peace with myself than that. I'm sorry, I just couldn't help that. I, you know? And I have been known when I'm going through something to hide in a cave, spiritually, literally, otherwise. I don't want to talk to anybody. You know, guys are all the time having to uh, forgive me for not returning a call or a text message or an email. Because when I'm in my cave, if I'm not going to talk to Jesus, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. If, I, if I'm struggling just me and Jesus talking... I'm not talking to you. I just want to hide in my cave and be left alone. Well, the pastor's preaching that night. He's preaching about Lazarus. And the Lord said to me, you're not in a cave. You're in a grave. The Bible says Lazarus was buried in a cave, but it was a grave. The difference is this. The time I've spent in the cave, I chose to be there. And when I finally humbled myself before God, I could always choose to come out. But if you're in a grave, you didn't put yourself there, and you can't get yourself out of there. And you know the problem with a cave? The good thing about a cave is you can pray if you want to. If you're in a grave, dead men don't pray. And I was in a grave. And, 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 and I'm getting worried about myself. I, I'm, I'm texting a couple of friends. That was the least amount of communication I could, the most amount of communication I could stand. I'm worried about me. I am. I, I did. I, I texted a couple of guys. I, I'm really worried about me. Now, I don't tell my wife that stuff. Let me tell you something, brethren. If you haven't learned this, and most of you guys are are more in my age group than the other age group, okay? If you haven't learned this, 
There's one thing women can't handle, and that's their husbands thinking out loud. My wife's my best friend, but there's some things I don't communicate with her because she can't handle it. Because I'm thinking out loud, she thinks I'm making decisions. And then when I do something else, she, she said, but you said, no, I didn't say that. I was just thinking out loud. <laughs> and I was. I was, just, I was just trying to use her as a sounding board. But she's thinking I'm setting direction here. And then and after I've ta- thought, talked about it, thought about it a little bit, and then I go some other direction, now i got problems because she's thinking I've already set that in stone. That wasn't even wet cement. That was barely jello. It was, it was jello hadn't even been in the refrigerator long enough. I'm just thinking. So, you know, that's kind of, I don't say that kind of stuff to my wife. I, I don't say, I'm really worried about me. No, I don't say that. You say, but she's your best friend. Yeah, but she's also supposed to be submitted to me, and I'm not trying to rock, destroy her foundation. So I did that with guys, you know, and then, and, and, and so the Lord said to me, you're in a grave. <laughs> if I'm in a grave, that means I can't get out of here. I don't like this. I like the cave because I was in control. If this was a grave, I'm not in control. And the only thing I could pray is, okay, you've convinced me. If I ever thought I believed it, I know I believe it now. When you said, without me, you can do nothing, I now believe it. I thought if I'd admit that, because I really did believe it, that he'd change it. I'd admit that about a thousand times a day. It didn't work. I forgave everybody I knew to forgive. I forgave myself a thousand times, God a thousand times. I, I forgave it. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. Nothing worked. And you know what? I, when that building collapsed in the snow, that was an act of God. That's what the insurance company called it, act of God. But we were not in this building now because I made a decision to do renovations without a permit. And then I had people say, you've taught us to obey the laws of the land. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. So, I'm a couple of weeks ago, I'm at Pennsylvania camp on Monday night. Brother Wayne Huntley's preaching, and I'm, I'm doing the day teaching. And he's preaching about faith. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And this is what it said. This is what the Holy Ghost said. When the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. He said, that which sifted Simon's faith was the weakness of God. Now, if you don't believe that terminology is in the book, you can try 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says the weakness of God is stronger than men. You can also try, come on now, um... I can't remember chapter and verse. Uh, 
it says it this way, that Jesus was crucified by the weakness of God, but resurrected by the power of God. He was crucified by the weakness of God. Simon and the Lord said to me, who was last night? Yesterday said, God knows a whole lot more about the Bible than I do. I'd never used that terminology, weakness of God. I'm sitting on the platform, worshiping God, being ministered to by the man of God, hearing the rhema of God to my spirit. And the Lord says to me, Simon's faith was being tested, was tested by the weakness of God. And you're in this grave because the weakness of God has put you here. Anybody want to know what the weakness of God is? It's when you know what God can do, but He won't. You know what He's capable of, but He doesn't. The greatest test of your faith is the weakness of God. The weakness of God. When you know what He's capable of, but He won't do any of it. You want peace? You've got to make peace with the weakness of God. Peter didn't. He sensed that Jesus wasn't going to do anything to defend himself. He whips out his sword and is going to force God's hand and not let God be weak. So he cuts off the high priest's ear and probably the most amazing miracle in any place in the Bible that Jesus did. He reaches down, picks up the ear, sticks it back on the man's head and makes it perfectly whole. And then says, come on boys, it's time to crucify me. He was crucified by the weakness of God. Because you see, Salvation is produced by the weakness of God. And this is the body of Christ sitting here. This is the only Christ this world is ever going to see. Jesus is not the body of Christ. He is the head of the body. And it's only the head of the body that's in heaven. The rest of the body of Christ is here. And the same things that the first body of Christ went through, which were only for our learning, is only for the example to teach us how to endure what this body of Christ is going to go through for the 2,000 years of the church age so we can have a right attitude and right spirit. So we can have peace. That's why Jesus sent the message back to John the Baptist. Here's all the stuff you've seen. Go tell John all the stuff you've seen. And by the way, tell him, blessed is he that's not offended in me. Blessed is he that's not offended in the way I run his life. You want to have peace? you got to give all your losses that you've already lost up to gain Christ. And that if you want to increase in the knowledge of Christ, you have to take everything you could lose and just lump all that stuff together and say, here it is, Jesus. 
I was only the steward of it anyway. What you want me to have, I'll keep until you ask for it. And what you, what you take, I'll thank you for trusting me with it as long as you did. It was yours anyway. We need to pray a minute here right now. We need to pray just a minute here right now. There's some of you precious people, you really do want to have peace and you really do want to walk, walk with God. But the problem is, you've got expectations that didn't come from God. You've got plans that God didn't give you. You've got stuff that, that you're ex- expecting God to do, requiring Him to do, demanding Him to do. And somewhere in your spirit, you're sensing He's not going to do it. And now there's an issue between you and God that's not going to be solved until you l- release it all in sovereignty to God. Here it is, Jesus. Here it is, Jesus. It, there's nothing I have I didn't receive. Everything I've got, life, breath, health, strength, was all given to you, given to me by you. It's yours. It's never been mine. If you want it back at any time, take it. This precious wife I've got, she's only on loan to me from God. The kids I've got are only on loan to me from God. My 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 mother is only on loan to me from God. As long as you let me keep them fine. This help I've got is only on loan to me from God. It's not mine. I, I don't have a life. I don't have a health. I don't have anything. Everything I've got was given to me. And if He wants it, I've got to be able to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you understand how much the adversary fears the church of the living God getting there? He's not afraid of your power. He's not afraid of your anointing. He's not afraid of your gifts. He's afraid of you having peace. Because once you get peace, He's got no influence. He has no ability to hinder. He has no way to keep you, to, to keep you from obeying God. If He can't cause you to be afraid of what you can lose, your life, your health, your family, your possessions, if He can't Keep you from being afraid of what you could lose so that you'll obey God. He's toast. Or how about our reputation that keeps all this hold up inside the privacy of the walls of our building? What about our pride? We're afraid we'll be lost if somebody makes fun of us out there for knocking on their door or preaching on a street corner. It's all that stuff we're afraid we're going to lose that's keeping God from being God. Philippians 4 verse 6. It says, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Be full of care over nothing. Have anxiety, worry, fear over nothing. Nothing in the Greek is not even one thing. No matter how small, no matter how big, nothing, nothing, nothing.
But in everything. What, do you, what am I supposed to pray about, Brother Wright? Whatever you care about. I don't have to pray about anything I don't care about. If I don't care if it rains today, I don't have to think about that. I don't pray about that. Big deal. It rains or it doesn't rain. Big deal. Right? I don't have to pray about anything I don't care about. But the moment I care about something, no matter how small, if it's, if it's significant enough to me to care about it, i got to give it. The moment it's important enough to me to care about, that's the moment He expects me to release it to Him. He said, cast all your care upon Him because He cares for you. God resisted the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Grace and peace from the Father is what I taught yesterday. Isn't it right? He gives grace to the humble. Here's the biblical definition of the humble. First Peter chapter 5. It's, don't go there. I'm just going to quote it because I want to stay on this scripture here. Uh, he says, God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, He'll exalt you in due time. Colon. Colon. Grammatical rule of colon is that which follows the colon, explains or expounds upon what precedes the colon. So here's the definition of humility biblically. Okay? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and He'll exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Pride is not the way a person carries themselves. Pride is not the look on their face. Pride is not their style of clothes. Pride has nothing to do with intellect. Pride has nothing to do with wealth or the lack of it. Pride has everything to do, biblically, with whether you hold on to your cares or cast them. If you hold on to your cares, you're prideful. If you cast your cares, you're humble. And He gives grace to the humble. He empowers us. That's what grace is, is empowerment. His grace empowers me to do through, go through whatever I need to go through once I've released the care. And here's what happens, my precious, precious friends and brothers and sisters here. If you don't release the cares, if you go to the parable of the sore, you'll find out why stuff doesn't work. Because cares of this life are just as negative on your fruitfulness as love of pleasure and love of riches. Now, buddy, let me tell you something. We can crank down on that love of pleasure stuff. Woo, buddy. We can preach against love and pleasure. You better believe we are experts. We can preach against love and pleasure in our sleep. It's a part of our DNA. You've got to come. You've got to slam love and pleasure. Whoa. And those are the love of money is a root of all evil. And, buddy, we can preach on that one a while, too. Ah. But you don't need to hear anybody put hanging on to the cares of life in the same breath or equivalent in negativity. Because let me tell you something. Having cares is just human. It's just human. We all have some fears and we all have some cares. And I'm not going to come down too hard on people of having some cares. It's just, you know, it's just, it's just the way we are. 
It's also the reason we have no fruitfulness. Because the cares of life choke the seed so that it never comes to maturity. It's never fruitfulness. So if the devil can't get you involved with pleasures of this life, if the devil can't get you watching TV, all he's got to do is just make sure you worry and he can keep you just as bound up. Because it doesn't matter which one of those boats you climb in, the result is the same. No matter what you do, it doesn't work. My wife used to say to me, boy, you, you love pressure because you, you, you do your best work under pressure. It was never my best work. It was I put everything off as long as I could because I didn't want to deal with it. And then I did what I had to do just to get it done to keep from embarrassing myself. It was never my best. Because if I would have done it when it should have been done, it would have been my best work. But I, it was never my best. It was always enough to get by. Love pressure? Let me tell you what I love. I love that total absence of any disturbance right in here. I love that. I love that. You say, oh, it's not possible. Then the Bible's a lie. I'm going to do you like the Mormons do. I give you this testimony. This is my testimony, and now you're responsible for it. I live my life refusing to allow any pressure in my spirit at all. Now, some days I have to work harder than others. Jesus was asked, how many times do you forgive your brother seven times if he offends you? Jesus said 70 times seven. That's 490 times. You know how many times somebody would have to, how frequently somebody would have to offend you to offend you 490 times a day? Once every 2.83 minutes. They ain't nobody hates you that much. <laughs> they ain't nobody wanting to see you harm so much they're willing to, 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 be, to be there and hurt you once every 2.83 minutes. So you know where the offense doesn't come from? It doesn't come from what they do. It comes from what you do by hanging on to it and it keeps remembering it. Once every 2.83 minutes, you can remember what they did to you and you get hurt all over again once every 2.83 minutes. Uh-huh, yeah. And Jesus is saying, no matter what they've done, if it keeps coming up that much, there's only one way to deal with it. I give it to you. Every time it comes up, I give it to you. I forgive and release, forgive and release, forgive and release. And you do that long enough and it'll stop coming up. Well, you know what? That's the principle. It's the same thing with worry. There's some days it feels like I've had to do that a thousand times to keep it out of here. It's my choice. Oh, I'm just having to hit some high points here. Colossians 3.15, if you'll help me. I'm going to quote it while she's getting it up there. Okay? It says, let, allow, permit, make a choice. Let peace rule in your hearts. The word rule in the Greek means to be your umpire, your arbitrator, your decision maker. 
Now, nobody gets a word from God on everything, and anybody tells you they do, they're lying through their teeth. So how in the world do I do the will of God moment by moment when I don't have a word from God of what pants and shirt to put on today? And whether I'm supposed to eat eggs and grits or if I'm supposed to eat a waffle. Or whether I have to crucify my flesh and let her drive the Jaguar and I have to drive the truck. How am I supposed to have peace over that? Right? How am I supposed to know which is the will of God today? Maybe there's somebody out there I was supposed to run into in that Jaguar. And their soul was going to be at stake. And I needed to know I was supposed to be driving that Jaguar today. Sounds good, doesn't it? She's not too sympathetic with that. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. How do I know? Let peace rule. Let the peace of God rule. Be the decision maker in your hearts. Now here's the problem. I can't let peace rule if I don't have any peace. I call it my pond of peace. Scripture talks about stones of stumbling and rocks of offense. This is what the Lord does. He sends people your way to put rocks of offense in your hands. Now you got to decide what you're going to do with that rock. You're going to cast it away from you and release it to God. Or he requires you to throw it into your pond of peace. Now, I want my pond of peace to be so still that it can be sensitive to the slightest breeze of the Spirit, to the stillest voice of God. I want my pond of peace to be so calm, I can't miss even the slightest move of God, the slightest direction of God. But God... The Lord said offenses must come. The Lord sends people, problems, and pressure my way all throughout the day to see if I'm going to take that stone and cast it upon him or if I'm going to throw it into my pond of peace. Every little ripple on my pond of peace diminishes my sensitivity to God. And when I won't let it go, it doesn't stay in my pond of peace. Every once in a while I find the Lord digging that rock out of the pond and put it in my hand saying, now what are you going to do with it this time? Are you going to release it this time? Or are you going to throw it into the pond of peace? Because if I release it, I really am releasing it once. I'm saying it can't do anything to me. But if I'm throwing it in my pond of peace, I will be challenged to do something with it again. You know the guy that cut off his ear, the high priest servant's ear? This is what he wrote, 1 Peter 2, 11. He said, seek peace, and the King James says, ensue it. The Greek is literally pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. The word seek there in the Greek talks about 
the degree of determination that you come to in your spirit to do something. It's not talking about the action. It's talking about the decision, the depth of the decision, and the, the degree of determination that you come to. How far are you willing to go to have something? The word seek implies that you should be willing to go to any length to have something. The word pursue, which sounds like it's, it's, it's just uh, repetition, is not at all. The Greek word there means what you're actually doing. One talks about your determination, your decision. The other talks about your actions. Seek peace. Make up your mind. You're going to have peace no matter what it costs you. And then follow through on it. And pursue peace like it was the only thing in life that mattered. Because to have peace, I got to be at peace with God. I got to be at peace with you. I got to be at peace with me. And then I've got to be at peace with my circumstances, with my past, my present, and my future circumstances. I can't let any of that live in here, I can't let any of that be in here. I got to give it. Be careful for nothing and everything, but, but in everything give thanks. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. Uh, I'm sorry. Make your request known unto God with thanksgiving. And the next verse says, And the peace of God, which Greek is surpasses or superior to all understanding, shall keep, guard, preserve your hearts and minds. You know why so many apostolics have heart trouble and head trouble, emotional problems? It's because they don't have peace. It's not a physical problem. It's not an emotional problem. It's a spiritual problem because they don't have peace because they're not pursuing peace. They internalize all that stuff and it just festers in here. That's why there's no righteousness, no peace, and no joy. You can learn to talk in tongues and it's not the Holy Ghost. You can learn to dance and shout and it's not the Holy Ghost. Because you've got to have a connection for all that to be real. And you can't have a connection because the Lord is not the author of confusion and He doesn't fellowship with confusion. And when I don't have peace, confusion reigns in my life. I can't trust any decision I make when I don't have peace. I can't trust any perception I have of you or anything else when I don't have peace. I can't trust the revelations I claim I'm getting when I don't have peace. I can't trust me when I don't have peace. But you know what? When I don't have peace, you know who it is I don't trust? Everybody else, including God. I've, had, I've, I've, I've talked to people about this. I said, uh, uh, why can't you trust God? I'm afraid he's going to let me down. I, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have you ever let yourself down? Yeah. In fact, I think probably more than likely you've let yourself down more than anybody's ever let you down. Yeah. Oh, but you're going to trust you. When you've let yourself down more than anybody's let you down, but you're not going to trust God because He might let you down. You see how you can't trust the reasoning of a heart with no peace? You can't trust the decisions of a heart with no peace? Now, that's, we're scratching the surface of this, and 
and it's time to receive peace. Now, I'm going to speak the words with the authority that God's given me. And every person in this room that wants it is going to get it. How can you do that? Because I'm a part of the body of Christ. And that same body of Christ stood on the bow of a boat one day. And all he did to fix a storm was say, peace, be still. And the elements obeyed him. Now, I can't make you obey me. But I can speak the word with authority. Even as the apostle did, because I'm a man of God too. And he said, grace and peace from the Father be upon you. And I'm going to speak those words in faith. And everybody that wants it is going to get it. Now you'll have to take care of it. But he's going to give it to you. According to your faith, so be it unto you. Stand and raise your hands. Pray with me. Father, I repent and ask you to forgive me for everything I've kept out of your hands. Everything that I've kept in my control. Everything having to do with my past. Everything having to do with my present. Everything having to do with my future. Father, you are God. I am not. And I cannot control anything in my life. I repent for attempting to. And now, Father, you as the Prince of Peace, I now make you the King of Peace in my life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, I speak grace and peace from the Father upon you. Receive it. Hallelujah. It's here right now. Come on. Come on. You say, this is too easy. It's biblical. It's not too easy. It's God. Come on. Come on. There's lives changing right this instant. There's people who are never going to be the same after this moment. You got your answer. You got your direction. And you got the seed of peace in your heart to go from here. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. How did you get the Holy Ghost? You thanked Him for it. How are you going to have peace? You thanked Him for it. Come on. Come on. Thank Him for it. Thank Him for it. In the name of Jesus. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can only receive it. Peace be unto you in Jesus' name. Peace to be ever, ever, uh, peace. I speak peace to every storm and every mind. I speak peace to every storm and every spirit. I speak peace to every storm and every soul. I speak peace to every storm and every heart. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, peace be unto you. Come on, let's thank you for it right now. Don't judge what's happening here right now by what you think you can see or feel. There's going to be people come back next year and they're going to say, my life has never been the same since this moment. My life has never been the same since this moment. My life has never been the same since this moment. Hallelujah. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Just another minute here. Come on, come on, come on. Hallelujah. 
You let the Lord take all those offenses out of you this morning. You dealt with your wounded spirit. Now here comes the armor of God. The armor of God is peace. He wants to preserve, guard your heart and mind. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on. Come on. I want some husbands praying for some wives. Wives praying for some husbands. Come on. Come on. I speak peace to these homes. In Jesus' name, I speak peace to these homes. I speak peace to these churches represented here. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be unto these churches. Peace be unto these homes. Peace be unto these marriages. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.